to Two Pills Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Dr. Jeannie Frenzel. She is a wife, mom, pharmacist, educator, and scholar. She loves exploration and adventure. She's serious about researching innovative pedagogies for teaching complex pharmacy practice skills to students with the use of technology and simulation. So Jeannie, welcome. Awesome. Well, can you just to get started, tell us a little about yourself and your teaching style? And so how did you know when you wanted to be a teacher specifically? Because I think a lot of us go into pharmacy thinking about being a pharmacist in practice, but how did you decide that you wanted to add that teaching component too? Yeah, that's an excellent question and one I think about a lot because it doesn't really make sense. (laughs) But I had lots of opportunity um, during that residency period to teach. And so I ended up on the faculty that I kind of started dabbling in the classroom with and, and I've been here ever since. But in answer to that question... Um, I actually went on to get a Doctor of Philosophy in Education, Adult and Occupational Education. I just graduated this spring with that. Oh, congratulations. So, That's huge. Yeah, it is. It's something, you know, it took me a while to work towards it. I was doing it part-time as I was you know, teaching full-time and, and having my family. And um, that was a thought that was always in the back of my mind. I was trained to be a pharmacist, but not necessarily an educator. And that's something that I really wanted to excel at. And so that's where I wanted my uh, focus and my vision to be. That's great. And so can you tell us a little bit about um, what strategies maybe that you learned from that perspective that could be shared with pharmacists, like you said, who go in academia, but maybe they've just done a teaching certificate, if that. Um, and so some things that maybe came from that PhD program. Uh, I think I learned a lot about active learning. You know, probably stepping back a little bit, I'm teaching in a pharmacy skills laboratory, so a lot of what I do, I've got a large lecture, but then I've also got those smaller groups of students that I'm meeting with on a weekly basis throughout the week, and I'm meeting with these students longitudinally from a P1 year all the way through their sometimes P4 year if I have them on rotation, and even if they come back as a resident, so I've got a long time with these students, so I want to make sure that what I'm doing with them is very engaging, it's fresh, it's innovative, and so going back to my classwork, um, I kind of learned how to be very intentional about what I'm doing, how to be very organized in my presentation, some unique ways to approach uh, the classroom. Um, and we talked a lot about pedagogy and andragogy, and certainly all of that informs what I've, I've done going forward. So um, yeah, I took a lot from the classroom. A lot of it was just consensus building and learning how to work with people coming with different uh, ways of learning and thinking about things. And so um, it all it's all coming to fruition, it's really kind of a neat marriage of things that I'm trying 
Yeah. So can you tell us about something that you've implemented that, and maybe an active learning strategy or just any kind of teaching strategy that has gone really well, whether in the classroom or experiential, or something that maybe didn't go so well? Sure. When I think about what goes well or what gets me really excited, I'm usually thinking about um, very much immersive, authentic experiences. Um, Typically, they're game-based, so I've got some good examples from the classroom where we've done a self-care amazing race, Um, and the students, they're working in teams of two, and they've got bandanas, and they're running around, and it's competitive. (laughs) We try not to do a lot of competitive types of learning, but every once in a while, if you sprinkle it in, it really keeps the students kind of fueled up and fired up classroom um, and so there's a winner and there's a trophy and you know they, they they take a lot from it believe it or not so sometimes just changing it up uh, is really helpful um, home testing and monitoring devices some of those kind of harder topics to teach per se just because you need that hands-on component we'll do the same thing there have time to investigate it rotate through then let's go back revisit those stations and have a really kind of intense powerpoint experience where you're clicking through and you're answering questions you're getting instant feedback those things are really labor intensive but yet fun to develop and the students take a lot away from them. And we're doing more with gaming and more with serious gaming as we're moving forward. So we've kind of started small and we're kind of working up to kind of bigger better things with regard to that active learning. I love that. I love games. I love to incorporate games in the classroom. And I think um, I'd love to talk a little bit about maybe misconceptions or things that um, – you know, maybe some barriers to faculty who want to implement games. I think one of the ones that I always hear is that they don't have the time or the resources to develop a video game. So one of the things that I'm always really passionate about is that it doesn't have to be high tech to be effective. And it sounds like your amazing race is kind of like that too, where it's just very, like you said, immersive and they're immersive in content, but it doesn't have to be this video game that you create with 15 levels and things like that in order to be effective. very simplistic, but I think if you think it through um, and you maybe even test it with an APD or resident, get some feedback, trial and error support when you're developing things like that, but it can be very straightforward. You can use a simple workstation to um, create, you know, like I mentioned, we're just using PowerPoints for that self-care amazing race, but we're using hyperlinks within them and we're making them dynamic, dynamic and very interactive. That's simple. Most people would have access to something like a PowerPoint. Um, we might throw on um, a soundtrack or some music race music's usually playing but that just adds a different element to it you know so the students are already they're taken to a place where they're not used to being you know they're used to coming in in their lab coats and they're very serious and they attend to their work immediately and so I think you can use um, a hands-on I think is really important so mm-hmm. if you can get the equipment if you can get the uh, compounding devices that you need to compound hazardous medications so they can try them the closed system transfer devices actually compound with them and all you have to do is tint your sugar i use sugar when we reconstitute our medications <laughs> red not that hazardous drug so i think there are lots of things to do um, to make those experiences more authentic and engaging i i completely agree with you and I think the other thing, too, I love that you use things like Amazing Race, and I know you've developed some other games as well, is that the other thing that I hear a lot about that I try not to get too soapboxy about is I feel like when faculty or students think about games, they only think about Jeopardy. Yes. And, like, yes, Jeopardy is great. There are some good things about Jeopardy, but it doesn't include the majority of the class. It's so slow. It's There's a lot of things that, um, you know, make it less than ideal for a serious game, so... Um, I love the idea of coming up with creative original games like you're doing 
in your in your skills lab. Any others that you want to mention as far as games that you've implemented? Uh, you know, there's the lecture I can think back since we were talking about graduate coursework and something I developed as part of a class, and I used it in a large group lecture. So this is the week of the self-care, oh, excuse me, home testing monitoring devices. So prior to them coming in and, and using or learning about all of the different pieces of equipment, I had them for a 50-minute lecture at the beginning of the week. And so that was a fun one. I had them... Um, go to YouTube and find an infomercial for a, a home testing cholesterol test. And so they watched it and then they had to repitch that test <laughs> to a patient, but using, it was back when OxyClean was a big deal. Oh yeah. The guy who promoted it was so big and over the top. And so they were trying to model after him and use that to, to you know, promote the test to, to a patient. And then that same lecture had two students come up and they were pretending to have coffee and they were role playing something <laughs> drug testing in their child but then we were trying to kind of um subconsciously or unconsciously get in some of those topics that are uncomfortable okay what do you do if you suspect your child might be using uh, drugs how do you get those parents to um, think about buying a test over the counter you know so just kind of having this you know think pair share and getting but i did probably every five to ten minutes within that particular lecture I had a different thing where the students were totally engaged in practicing or performing something. And so I, had, I don't do a lot of that, but that particular, and I might not have even explained it very well, but that particular lecture uh, really um, brings back fond memories for me because the students just did so well with that. And then I think the rest of the week went smoothly because they had a really great introduction to the topic. So I think that Other is that, so fantastic. Oh, yeah. Good. Thank you. Uh, right now we're really into serious gaming, and so we've got the diabetes escape room that we've implemented in our um, pharmacy skills laboratory, and that's kind of blown up for us um, just because it's really popular culture right now, um, and we've been able to publish on it and gather up some excitement within our uh, within the academy, and so we've got some other schools that are collaborating and trying to use their own escape rooms, and so this is kind of a different type of a gaming experience specific to a disease state topic rather than um, uh, a skill such as compounding or dispensing or over-the-counter type medications. And uh, this is kind of a, an interesting thing. It's it, it's much bigger than I expected it to be. And so um, in that case, we had our students in a locked room and they had four different puzzles they had to solve to escape the room and save a patient. And it, boy, it's, it's really impactful. And we did a little qualitative research with that particular project and we found uh, a couple of things about teamwork and leadership that we're going to kind of look into a little bit further so that is so great I remember seeing that at AACP last year um, because my colleague and I were presenting on games and so we caught up with you guys at one of the poster session about it and I mean I just think it's such a fantastic idea um, and so because I think escape rooms are so on trend right now students know what you're talking about when you say escape room when it comes to the type of puzzles I know I saw them on your poster um, at the previous conference, when it comes to those types, how did you guys come up with those? And do you have any recommendations for if somebody, like my area of focus tends to be infectious disease. So if I wanted to make an ID escape room, what would be some recommendations that you have on coming up with those puzzles and making them effective? Mm -hmm. That's an excellent question. And I think we learned a lot through the process of developing our own escape room. It was very time consuming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was very worth it. But in this case, we kind of had a team working on the puzzle. 
puzzles. So I, I took the lead on puzzle one and I had a colleague on puzzle two. We had a fantastic APPE on rotation with us at that time. Mm. She worked hard for us on another puzzle. We actually piloted our puzzles with some faculty. They actually deplored the experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, did they really? They really did. They could not stand it, but they were good troopers. <laughs> They, they followed through but gave us a ton they could be back and then we were able to go back and revise things it's a funny thing <laughs> looking back at that they just didn't like the challenge and they didn't like being put on the spot so um i don't know that we noticed the same thing our students they kind of uh, savored the competition of it all but <laughs> so with that particular game uh we took time with it i think and that was probably the most important part we spent a good chunk of the summer really working on developing and honing those puzzles so that once we since we were doing it in three different iterations simultaneously, we didn't have a lot of troubleshooting that we had to do in the thick of things. I think that's so great. I think you've brought up so many great points. And it's not just because you also love gaming, I promise. But um, I, I love the concept of a pilot. I think that's something that I always recommend for someone implementing a game. Um, so, for example, I'm sure you guys came across this. I think some people will schedule an entire class period or half a class period to devote to a game. And in my opinion, you want to try for like 15 minutes the first time because you don't know it could take longer or the students could finish it in two seconds, you know. Um, So I think you get tons of great feedback for that. I think with uh, I think one of the most important things with games is clear instructions. And I think you get a lot of feedback on that through a pilot. So I think that's really great. Um, and so I think you've, you've hit on a lot of really great things. And I think you're also investigating an area that I think games are ideal for, which is that teamwork and leadership component. And in particular, I think you could really do games with interprofessional education too, you know, just hit all of those different things, um, with, with an immersive competitive game like that. If I can, just from my own interest and also, cause I really want to try to make these, um, these ideas very actionable, I guess. So one of the things I've noticed is, for example, our physical assessment class, we essentially feel like we don't have enough mannequins or simulation um, devices in order to have everyone go around. So when you're doing something like an escape room, do all the students play at once or did you break it up? I know that seems maybe very nitty gritty, but it's just those kind of logistical questions that I think the listeners will be very interested in knowing about. We have a class size of approximately 85 students, Mm -hmm. and they are in our skills laboratory two hours a week. And at that point, there are 16 students in each laboratory section. So from that end of 16, we divided them into three teams of approximately five students. Okay. And we ran the three times within a class period. So that's how we were able to get all the students through the experience within one week. Oh, that's great. That's really cool. And then out of the 110-minute laboratory course experience 70 minutes was made up of the game which allowed time to introduce the game with those clear instructions that i agree with you are so very important and to provide a little bit of a debriefing reflection following the game that's so great um and then so how are you gonna i I assume you're gonna repeat the escape room um in subsequent years how do you plan to evolve it or change it um based on feedback and just where you want to go with it I think we have the puzzles in a very good, uh, at a very good point. Probably with the puzzles, we would be simply just keeping up to date with the 
disease state uh, guidelines. Um, and I think based on what we've found from our, our just our very quick qualitative analysis of our data that we captured with the pilot and then the first full implementation, um, teamwork, leadership were really interesting things that uh, kind of came forward from that data. So we might focus a little bit more on what makes a good team. Um, communication, working together, and that kind of plays into what we were talking about earlier with that interprofessional piece, and knowing that all of these students are going out and working on an interprofessional team, if we could include students from other disciplines, that would be awesome. We're a smaller school, so we don't have access to a lot of different types of healthcare professional students, um, but we certainly have nursing on campus and some other disciplines that we might be able to incorporate. But of course, as you know, scheduling is always the difficult part. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I think you have a great basis for that, so I think that's really exciting. Is there anything that you have tried in the classroom that hasn't gone so well? Mm, that's a good question. I'm sure plenty of things. <laughs> <laughs> Classroom or experiential, yeah. Yeah, you know, my main skill that I focus on is zero compounding, and so I try um, to be very diligent every summer and take a look at my curriculum. What am I doing with my ones and my twos and my threes? Am I progressively getting more complex and difficult? Uh, you know, I try to get, if I've got some students in the hood compounding, then I have some of the remaining students who don't fit in those hoods. We have a small space doing something at the tabletop, but I want it to be meaningful. And so I just, I'm always kind of, lending a critical eye to the types of things that I'm having them do, making sure that it's meaningful. And our little mantra here is, is it nice to know or need to know? So that's kind of how I stay on task. So mm -hmm. I want to make sure that everything I'm having them do or teaching them or expecting them to accomplish is a need to know. So we've got limited time, and I want to make sure that it's all quality um, and of value to the students. And so trial and error. Yes, I've had plenty of things that have not worked, <laughs> <laughs> but I just, Keep rolling with the punches and change them over time. And I think you kind of mentioned that too, that first group of the week um, with the time. So you never know how something's going to time out, especially if it's a new activity for you. So you just have to try it. And then that next last section, you go, oh, maybe we should trim this worksheet. Right, absolutely. <laughs> time for it. So, and that's kind of how you, you get to that sweet spot or the good point, And then you can start using those and I love that um, you're, you know, making the commercials and stuff because I think students do enjoy doing those types of things. And I also think that it really appeals to their interest in YouTube anyway. You know, they're already on YouTube. They already get a lot of information from it. And so if they're looking for commercials on there, it just, I think, really appeals to their current approach to media. And if you can help them with their learning in that way, I think that's even better. So um, I think that's really exciting use of, of media. If you could go back or if you had a brand new faculty member starting with you, what insight about being a faculty member do you have now that you wish you had on your first day? Um, I've had it kind of a, a really great experience as a faculty member and I think I guess I would just share with that new faculty kind of my approaches to scholarship service and teaching, which I think are very different approaches from <laughs> my colleagues and the other faculty, and I, I kind of would encourage them to, to make their own path and be confident in their choices, but I always ask for that mentorship and that feedback along the way. Um, work with the end in mind. I think that's always worked mm -hmm. very well with me, so know what your goal is and make sure that everything that you do um, meets the needs of that goal, so try not to get caught up in all of that extra 
committee work or the service that's really fun, but really focus and be intentional about what you're doing. That's probably the best piece of advice I can think of. I think that's great. Yeah, focusing and keeping the end in mind. And I really like what you said about nice to know versus need to know. Because I think we, especially if we get really excited about a topic, there's so much that we could tell them. um, But really trying to keep it in balance with what is absolutely necessary that they graduate knowing and then versus things that we just find really exciting about the topic. Are there any books or resources or podcasts or websites that you would recommend for somebody who is maybe either interested in the serious games that you do or just active learning in general? You know, I just usually head to the the literature. So I'm always Mm -hmm. doing a lit search and and informing my decisions that way. So I can't really speak to a book or a website, um, but I I do try to make sure that it's all primary literature and really founded, um, has some theory behind it, and it's kind of a solid research um, project before as a foundation laying foundation for my own research projects that's usually where I get my information or data and you sound like you're very creative with your amazing race and escape rooms and things like that where do you get your ideas or who inspires you to have these ideas and to push them through you know I think I've always said that that is like the best part of my job is the ability to be creative mm-hmm. and take license within the classroom. And I don't know that all faculty have the ability to do that, or maybe they don't, you know, that might not be, not be something that really resonates with them, but that gets me excited. So I really have onus over my own content and how I choose to um, deploy it to the students. We've got a fantastic, uh, very supportive administration here. So typically um, I'm able to purchase whatever I need to make the idea work um, and I think it's just my own love of I I just like doing new things and, <laughs> and I like to keep things interesting for the students that, that's an old my own personal passion that I think drives me forward in all that I do so I'm very lucky I think to have the ability to be able to do the fun things that I'm attempting to do with my students that's great. And this might that might relate to this next question, which is, if you weren't in pharmacy education, what would you be doing as a career? Mm, I started out thinking I wanted to be a microbiologist. Oh, I love that. And, and I do have a degree in microbiology, but I think I might go back to that. That would be more of a traditional uh, benchtop research. So that's kind of something that I, I started in and transitioned into pharmacy, which is definitely the right decision for me. But anytime I walk past our farm side labs with the bench shop research going on, I get a little tingle of excitement. So I can see myself doing something like that, carrying something. I'm not sure, but, you know, I think that would be fun as well. So completely different from what I'm doing, but something that's always been of interest. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I think it's so interesting, too. I know. In my second year of residency, I had the opportunity, I did an ID residency, and I had the opportunity to grow Canada from blood samples. And I just thought it was the coolest thing that you know these patients have candidemia and you can actually grow it in the lab. I just thought it was fascinating. Um, But anyways, last question for you. What is your overall prescription for life, success, and happiness, whether it's in this job or just in general? that you're giving your attention and your time to your family that's so important and it's um something that I'm conscientious of more so than I used to be simply because I just finished that PhD in education which took a ton of time (laughs) just making sure to take care of my family the best I can and myself and then just making sure that when I'm working here at the college um I'm doing things that um 
I'm working with the end in mind. We'll go back to that. Mm-hmm. So making sure that what I'm, I'm making the right choices for myself and my career and, and things that I'm passionate about so that as I move forward, these are projects that I don't get tired of or I continue to want to work on them. And so that when I walk in the door every day, I'm excited and passionate about what I get to do and sit down and work with it. And, and uh, so just kind of tr- attempting to maintain that enthusiasm um, just by making good choices and, and probably not getting caught up, you know, sometimes in a work environment, you can get caught up in all the extra stuff going on, and I, I try to stay away from that. Sure. <laughs> so I, think, I think I've been uh, around long enough, I feel like I'm a little more of a senior faculty at this, at this point, that I kind of just focus on what I need to do, and um, that seems to be working well right now. That's a great message. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being on Two Pills Podcast. And uh, thank I'm, you very much. Thank of you. course. Thank you.